at this time of the year, many people are struggling with a variety of things. Some are struggling with um, emotional trauma, having gone through Christmas, which is a very upsetting time in, for a lot of people. Uh, many people want to come home and visit with relatives, and it's not, it wasn't possible this year. But it's also time in normal times when that happens. Within families, there's often a lot, lot of stress. It's actually way up there as one of the most stressful times of the year when people come together. And it's also one of the times of the year when people indulge in a lot of things, be it in food or in alcohol or in drugs. But there's the other side of the coin, and that is there are people who are affected by the behavior of others, whether it be people who have addiction to food, to gambling, to sex, to alcohol, or whatever. And I want to focus a little bit of attention on um, a 12-step program, Al-Anon, which is for people who are trying to cope with and live with somebody they care about who is suffering from alcoholism. And Porik has agreed to come along and have a chat with me, and Porik is based in Dublin. And... uh, Parikh, first of all, thank you very much for coming along and being willing to share with us. My, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Austin, for no problem. So, first of all, Alanon, how would you, if you were asked, you know, the 15-second elevator pitch or 30-second elevator pitch, what would you say is Alanon? Yeah, well, it's a fellowship of men and women who um, offer support for families or friends, as you say, or colleagues. Um, who, of people who are in their own addiction, who are in their obvious addiction. And the obvious addiction is one of maybe, who say, alcohol or drugs or whatever, gambling. Um, so people see that easily. But living with that uh, is the not so obvious. You know, it's, it's, so Al-Anon offers that support for somebody who's at their wit's end, trying to make sense of somebody else's addiction uh, thing. So that would be 15 seconds what Al-Anon is about. Yeah. So when you say trying to make sense of, it's like surely the problem is the addict. And yes. if the addict, if the addict exactly. can deal, if the addict can deal with the addiction, the problem goes away. <laughs> oh, if it was only that simple. Exactly. Because uh, we're talking about behavior and we're talking about a lot of things. So the addict has to handle whatever it is that, 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 that they become dependent upon, whatever that substance is. Um, what I've found in Al-Anon over the years is that a lot of people are addicted to the addict and therefore they think that once the addict stops doing what they're doing that they'll be okay. Um, but that is not the case. Um, the case, you know, for uh, you're overthinking, you're over trying to control, you're over trying to... You know, I've heard a lot of people uh, down through the years who said, yeah, all's well now that he's not, but their obsession still remains. And their obsession remains as far as, oh, he's, he's late, or oh, he hasn't rang, or she hasn't rang, or oh my, you know, I haven't heard. You know, that obsession that goes on constantly, morning, noon, and night, trying to wonder where somebody else is. And if they go to uh, whatever, sort of a do, will they start again? So they spend their whole life in this silent worry of trying to control. When realizing, of course, uh, in Al-Anon, we re- it's a very gentle program. They come in and they realize, wow, yeah, that is my obsession. 
And I think my life is going to be fantastic if they stop. But often, often, often the case is once somebody stops, it is even more difficult living with that. Because you do not have now the physical thing of somebody falling down or somebody being drunk or somebody being whatever. You're just living in this eggshell type of uh, scenario where you're walking around trying to control the situation and trying to control the uncontrollable. Um, and as you know yourself from your own experience, there is no controlling that. But what we find in al is no matter, yeah, where the penny has to drop that this is about your obsession. This is about you, the dependent person, their obsession and what they're doing with it. Because they can spend the rest of their life worrying. Will it ever start again? What will happen if, you know, all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. Al-Anon brings you back to the day, brings you back to a sense of principles that, hey, if you can just operate in the day and start to leave this obsession that you might have just to one side, just for an hour, just for two hours, and practice some of this literature that we have, then you can find yourself changing beyond all recognition. Yeah. Parik, I heard you use the word there repeatedly. Control. Uh-huh. It yeah. came across as if control is something that is very much a part of the life of the person who is around about the addict. Yeah. This is the illusion or the delusion that we often find that people live with, that they can control it. You know, everybody lives well, if I don't open that bottle of wine or if I hide this or if I pour the water down or pour the booze down the sink or if I don't stop there or if I don't go to that house because they do a lot of drinking. If I can control this addict's behavior, uh, this addict's movements, this addict's thinking, then I, I will be. So it's an incredibly insidious part of the disease, this thing that we think we can control. And we go to great lengths to try to control. And usually... We had to try everything before people find themselves in Al-Anon, before they say, oh my God, I've got to give up this because no matter what I've tried, I have tried to be the wonderful loving wife or the fantastically caring husband, and yet no, we still break out and do what they have to do. And that's devastating, having done everything that you thought that you could to, um, to support this person, they still go off because the addiction is their number one thing in their life. The addiction is primary, and therefore everything else comes second. And that's broken a lot of hearts to a lot of people because they couldn't believe that they thought, well, if you loved me that much, you wouldn't do that. And of course, addiction is much stronger than, than that. So, yeah, control is massive awesome. And then to recognize that, wow, if I can listen to people who are trying to let go of that control, because uh, it is an illusion, uh, even when you think that you are controlling it, it's just an illusion. And uh, it's one that can, you can carry to your, to, your, to your very deathbed. And I have had many, many instances of that. Uh, where people just carried that to their deathbed, not knowing what else they could have done to change somebody else's behavior. Parik, the other perception I think that might be out there is that addiction, predominantly alcohol addiction, is a male problem, so that the um, person around about the addict is predominantly a female. And yeah. here I am talking to a male. Uh-huh. Well, more and more now it's becoming uh, almost... Well, probably 50-50 at this stage, Austin. Certainly go back in the years ago, it was predominantly female. But now the whole world has changed, as we know, for one reason or another. Um, wine is the most popular uh, alcohol of choice now. It's very fashionable. It's very, you know, hey, hip, you know, come into our house, have a glass of wine. Yeah, it's, it's not even perceived as alcohol. And then um, what happens is a lot of people get into that. It feels good. It feels terrific. And all we need is a second bottle. And before you know, everything's grand. 
So um, a lot of situations now that you find yourself that females uh, are becoming nearly 50-50 in terms of um, alcohol addiction. Uh, so more and more men are coming. And of course, from a man point of, male point of view, it's, it's difficult because it's an egotistical thing. It's, well, I can't go and ask for help because if I can't control my wife, then what will people think and all the rest of us? And that's the beauty of, of, of Anon. It is anonymous. Um, you come in, you only ever say your first name, uh, and, you, you know, you don't have to share, you don't have to speak, you don't have to do anything. Just, just put your nose in and say, oh, wow, you know, maybe this might help. Um, but that's a hugely, it's, it's, it's a long way down the road before males step inside the room. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is uh, what we've been talking predominantly about at the moment is what I guess would be spousal type arrangements. Mm-hmm. But that is not always the case either because often, you know, you have parents and they're struggling because one of their children or yeah. one or more of their children is sure. is uh, in a, an addictive situation or you have children whose parents may be in an addictive situation. So talk a little about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's how I find myself in on and on. I was a child of, right, in this chaotic home where you were fearful, you were, you know, wandering, you were in doubt all the time. You were trying, as a child, as a very young child, to control the situation. You were trying to be that good boy. You are trying to excel at this. You were trying not to. And, you know, you were living now between two, two warring factions. You had a mother trying her very best, right, in a situation. But because she was totally focused on where he was, kind of lost sight of where, where, where we were. So it ended up that, yeah, as for me, certainly... Uh, I, I left home at a very young stage thinking that if I get out of here, I'll be okay. And I left and I went away. And then because I was witnessing this dysfunction, uh, alcoholism, it was in our house too, um, witnessing as a young child, I made this mental sort of note that drink was the problem. If I didn't drink, then I wouldn't have any problems. And, of course, a lot of people went down that same route. And in my religion that I was born into, um, they would have encouraged that. They would have set up a situation called a Pioneer Association, that if I become a pioneer, then I'll have no problems. But I've got to say to you, Austin, some of the people who have been the worst that I've ever come across in terms of being deeply affected, that's what I mean when I say worst, really unsure, really frightened, really angry, really everything else, were people who wore pioneer pins. And I had teachers that way, and I, it was just chaotic. But because they thought, like the way I thought, if I don't drink, I'd be okay. But, I mean, as I remember hearing a guy talking about this when I really got involved. Uh, I left home at 15, very quickly synopsis, went away to England, uh, played a bit of football, done duo with bits and pieces, had work and came back, but uh, I never drank. And uh, that was a big thing in my football team at the time. And here was this Irish man not drinking. They couldn't believe that. <laughs> so, this young man not drinking. But I didn't. But... Um, just a story. So anyway, the people that I was attracted to, the people that I felt comfortable with, the people that I felt were good crack, the people that I felt were fun, the people that I, that I wanted to be around were all heavy, heavy drinkers. Some of them decided later on in their life to call themselves alcoholic. Some of them didn't. Some of them died. Some of them were still at it. You know, there's no time limit on this. It's amazing. But one of them that did uh, call himself an alcoholic went and got help. You know, I was talking to him about what's the help you got. And my dad at that stage had got into uh, AA. And I said, yeah, I can understand that. And he said to me, well, really what you've got to do for it is you've got to go along to Al-Anon. 
for you to get any understanding what this is about because it's far too complicated for me to explain to you. So until you go to there, we can't really have this discussion anymore. So I, I liked him and I thought, okay, I'll go along for a while. And I went along and as you said earlier, 99.9% female. And I was quite young at the time. A lot of these females were over 40, which to me at the time seemed really old. <laughs> Not so old now. But uh, I looked walking into that room, I thought, oh, gosh, I don't think I can really get anything here. But uh, I kept coming back. They asked me to come back for six or seven meetings and see what it was like. And, uh, I did that, and then I left. And then a year later, a family friend of my wife, a, family of, a member of my wife's family, his wife got really bad. Uh, so I brought him along to al to explain to him what al was about. And, of course, uh, I thought I knew it because I was at six meetings. But in that moment, I realized I knew nothing and that I would have to do, apply this program uh, a bit more stringently than what I had done. I'd given it lip service. I'd gone in and read these banners that were on the wall called the Steps and Traditions, and I thought I understood them because I could read them. But uh, at a deeper level then, I really came to understand that for me to have a good life, I was to take control of my life. And that was a big thing for me. Up until that moment, it was all outside me. It was all about how much money I was going to earn. It was all about whatever. I had no understanding whatsoever of, uh, of looking inside myself. So only when I was supported by people who had been there and done that could I discover that this wee fellowship, that you could only do it in a wee situation, that all the reading in the world and all the medicine in the world wasn't going to do this. It was just going to have to be with people who understood and who supported that situation. So that's how I ended up as a child of. And of course, being an on and on, we see everything. We see partners, we see bosses, we see children of, we see uh, parents of, as you say, we see work colleagues. It all, they all flow through at one stage because this is a cunning, baffling, insidious disease. And the, the, the cunningness of this is that they can suck somebody in beside them, usually somebody very close to them. And unbeknownst to them, they become part of the disease. They become the enabler. They become, now I'll make the phone call for you. I'll cover it up. I'll pay that bill. No, it's okay. Say nothing. I'll fix up later with you. And the cunning and backingness of any person who is an addiction will outsell, outmaneuver, outthink any normal human being. So you'll find that everybody is part of. And then when you get to Alan on long enough and you realize, wow, I am actually contributing to this. My behavior is adding to this. My behavior is actually keeping them where they're at. And what we thought was helping was, in fact, encouraging and enabling. The word I never heard of before until I joined Al-Anon was enabling. What was I doing that was enabling this to carry on? And boy, that's been a wonderful journey just finding that out. It's been a lot of fun and it's given me a lot of things. So what type of personality traits would then be somewhat typical of behavior within a dysfunctional relationship where uh, you have an addict and an well, enabler. The biggest one is a uh, carer. Somebody who cares, cares themselves into a grave, really. You know, minding, looking after, um, don't confront. You know, that's a lovely caring person that usually ends up in caring professions. You know, uh, uh, a lot of doctors, a lot of surgeons, a lot of nurses, a lot of, uh, a lot of it would have come from that dysfunction while that, uh, that comes natural to care. Not everybody, of course, I'm not saying that, but just that would be your first thing, uh, to be a wonderful caring person and that you would have carried that as some sort of label and some sort of medal 
And I know that my mother, God rest her, would have carried that as a wonderful medal. That she was a very caring person, of which she was. But that caring went to extremes, and that extremes gave the addict encouragement not to address themselves. It's only sometimes uh, when, it's only ever, when the word no and the word stand up and say, I'm not doing that anymore, I'm not being part of your illness, no, I'm not going to make the call to your boss anymore, I'm not going to do that, I'm not paying the electricity bill anymore, because hey, this is just not going anywhere, and I've had enough, and I'm standing back. So caring, I suppose, to answer your question, Austin, would be the first big one. Um, and then, yeah, there are lots of other ways, uh, uh, characteristics uh, apart from that. Right, right. So as a result of walking through the doors of Al-Anon, it allowed you to recognize, I suppose, first mm-hmm. what the uh, issues were that you were either hiding from and hiding for somebody else and give you the tools to start processing and handling. Absolutely. And the tools is a great word. You know, just thinking, you, you, you don't get this. This is not like any other course you've ever done. You don't come out with a certificate and I've been, I've gone, I've got it. Right? This, the tools were that I could, in any given situation, not just with the addict, not just with the despair, not just with all of that, but in any given situation, I could apply these tools to my work, to my career, to my sport, to my everything. I could apply this, that uh, these tools. And the tools are really simple. They're little uh, slogans, uh, but they're very powerful. Um, but they're so simple that they often elude you. They're so, so simple that, you know, if I just stand back, if I just let go, if I just detach, if I just bring my mind back to the day, because the big thing about this disease is we live in the past and we live in the future. Very few of us live in the present. You know, we are worried about, we are regretful, we're angry, we're upset about things that happened in the past, or we're actually projecting that this could kick off again, or this would get worse, or this would get... So we lose that skill of being present. And, um, of course, most of the world have lost that skill. But Alan or AA, or whatever it is you're going to, um, you know, with a wonderful thing, in the, one of the great tools is sponsorship. One of the great tools where you hear somebody... You identify with them, you ask them for the phone number, you have a little chat, and, you know, you can develop, you can start hearing yourself through your own words. Because the great thing with this disease is is the mental side. So you think by hearing it and by working it out in your head that you can actually, that you're actually doing something about it. But it's only when you speak it out, it's only when somebody listens to you and uh, supports you and get you to understand what you're doing with your life. Because, of course, the first couple of meetings that you have with anybody who comes in is always about what they're doing, what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they didn't do, what they should do, what, what, what they, what they, what they. And then, and as I say, Alan Nunn turns that, turns that light inside back to yourself and say, well, what am I doing? What am I doing that's supporting this? What are, oh, my God. I'm, and, and I'm worrying, and I'm frightened, and I'm afraid. And I'm, wow, I didn't realize that. I thought that my fear would leave if they stopped behaving. But as I said earlier, often is the case that it gets worse. Because now I don't even have the fall-down scenario to, to, to fall back on. Uh, here they are, they're around the house, but the anger is still the same, the frustration is still the same, the worry is still the same. All those things are still the same, but he's not drinking, or she's not drinking. 
So I should be happy. But if I'm still in a state of worry myself, then you know, then I'm going to bounce off their worry, and their worry is going to bounce off my worry. And before we know, we're 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 nearly where we started. Yeah. Parik, based on what I just heard as well, I pick up on that. <coughs> the behaviour you're talking about, while it might, we've been talking in a way, as again, if it's in a spousal situation, but some of what you said there, I, I gather, you're bringing yourself into the workplace with you, you're bringing yourself into social situations, uh, you're bringing yourself into sport, and you're bringing your behaviours are that type of thinking with you as well. With that, So this is not just something that is inside the four walls of a house. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You're, you're, you're very thinking. You're very, no matter where you go, you want to bring yourself. And the training, the, uh, I used to think it was a DNA, but it's not. It's the training that a child is subjected to. Right? And I mean, some of the great orders down to the years, they give me the child having for seven years and I give you like the man. These are all quotations from people who said yes. yes. And that's very true. Uh, and you don't have to be religious. You just have to understand that if you're seven to ten, ten years in a very unwell environment, then that training goes with you. No matter what you think, you think, well, if I don't do that, I'll be okay. Like I said. I said, well, if I don't drink, I'll be grand. Right? And I won't have that problem. But really my training, my fears, my projection, my, my doubt, my all that came with me. Um, so absolutely I bring it into everywhere and uh, everywhere you go and uh, you will see it everywhere you see it now the popular thing is road rage you know people just at a state of up to 90 because some guy pulls out in front of them or somebody chases somebody else down the road flashing lights because they, that's just totally mental unwell behaviour it's going to end up in death or worse prison at best or somewhere because you are out of control and so where did that out of control come from? In my humble opinion, it's a sort of training um, that has been deeply ingrained and uh, Alan Long has taught me to be aware of that and to get help with that and to change um, that type of uh, uh, extraordinary uh, behaviour that I used to justify. I used to say, well, your man did pull out in front of me. Jeez, he could have killed me. He could, you, know, I, you can justify anything. Uh, but to realize that I was deeply affected by that, uh, way beyond reason, way beyond reason, Austin, right? Mm. So, uh, Alan Austin, you know, huge help to me all through my life. And as I say, through this, you know, there's been death in our family, there's been suicide, there's been uh, prison, there's been lots of different things that have been really difficult, right, uh, to handle. But had I not got the support that um, was freely available to me, um, you know, it was, it was openly available to me, be better word than freely, uh, it was openly available to me, and I'm so glad that I found it. Has it made a difference during the last nine months? Oh, I don't know how people are coping without that. I really don't. You know what I mean? I, 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 I play a bit of golf now, and I meet guys, and, you know, uh, they have one figure after another figure after another figure, but the deaths, the thing, you know, the worry that people are carrying around at the moment is just phenomenal. Right, and we have to begin to see the outcome of you know that that thing when we get to mental health, we get to you know prescribed drugs, and we get to all the things that people need just to survive. So this last nine months have been a gift where I've been able to be present, be in the day, know that all is well, 
and just work it out in there, leave it. But feeding myself on the half hour uh, in, in this country, on the half hour, news bulletins about the deaths, the discovery, the thing, what are we going to It's just been, I don't know how people are doing that. So I can just imagine that the doctor surges, instead of being full with people who have flu and coughs and things that they shouldn't, the light thing, are now being filled with, I can't sleep. I'm full of anxiety. I'm really worried about my daughter. She's away. I didn't get to see my mother. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just, I, I see it every day in the street. You know, there's people now so afraid of this entire piece of information that we're getting about COVID, which is a reality, honestly. But they're so afraid. They're, I've seen them jumping out in the road rather than passing on the footpath because somebody told them, I've got to be this far apart and I've got to... So without care for themselves, they're hopping out onto the road. They've been knocked down by bicycles, they've been bumped by cars, but, wow, I can't go anywhere close to you. And that's incredible. That level of anxiety that people are going into is just desperate. You know, they see it now in the queues in the supermarket. Sorry, stand back, move back. It's just, it's just incredible. Yeah, so there's going to be a whole backlash mentally. So to answer your question, it is great to have a program. It's great to have support. It's great to have something I can lean on that can say, hey, hold on a second. Where are you right now? Are you okay? You're okay. Yes, absolutely take precautions. Do wash your hands. You know, one of the great mantras of my mother, God bless her, right, coming out as one of the big family, you know, so we're coming into the house, you know, there was a basin out the back and a bit of sunlight soap and a bit of water. Did you wash your hands? You know what I mean? This was <laughs> long prior to, to, to COVID. Basic stuff. Basic stuff. You know what I mean? Um, so, so, so Parik, if anyone can identify with anything they've heard, where should they be reaching out? Where can they find Alanon? Well, like this, we've moved on to the technology is great. Uh, go on to the alanon.ie if you're in Ireland, or go on to alanon.uk if you're in the UK, go on to alanon.au if you're in Australia, go on to alanon.usa if you're in America, .ca for Canada. There's a lot of Alanons. Just put it into Google. You will find yourself there. And you'll find that there's a list of meetings in every country around there. And on that list of meetings, all you've got to do is pick one that you would like. Now, with the technology of Zoom, it turns out that you don't even have to go out to go to a meeting because people are not allowed to. But you can now log on to a meeting anytime, anywhere in the world via the Zoom. Uh, and all those details are on most websites uh, that, that I've just mentioned out there. You know, so it doesn't matter what hour of the day you are, 4 o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep. You know, that's probably 8 o'clock in the afternoon or over down in Waterford or over in, uh, in, in Donegal. Then, you know, you'll, you'll find yourself a meeting. You know what I mean? So that's where to go. Get onto the website, alanon.whatever. But in Ireland, it's alanon.ie. And uh, there's a list of meetings there on Zoom. And if you don't even fancy the Zoom technology, there's dial-in meetings that you can just ring a number and you can say, uh, hello, my name is Joe and I'd just like to listen. And you don't see anybody, you don't have to speak, you're just in the company of people for an hour who are sharing their strength and, and uh, hope, right, that they have got from this fantastic program called uh, the 12 Steps, you know what I mean? And it doesn't really matter, they're not religious, they're nothing to do with religious, they're nothing to do with politics, they're nothing to do with any outside institution. They're a standalone 12 step organization. And now more and more in the world, you know, in the, in, the, uh, in the media world, people are starting to understand that these 12 steps are a powerful, powerful situation. But 
to make them work, you need to connect with somebody who's in the same situation as yourself. Yeah. David Park, thanks a million for taking the time. It's been fascinating. It's been educational. It's been very helpful. And uh, I hope that 2021 uh, works out for all of us and that it is yes. a, a, a good year. That would be everybody's wish, of course, yeah. And uh, uh, as I say, yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me on. And uh, yeah, one day at a time, all is well. All is well.